change is gonna come. See that you actually are a leader. I was with Nike for a very long time and built my career in retail. You know, I think uh, this podcast just got its first exclusive. Being an entrepreneur is hard. The highs are really high and then the lows are really low. That I'm actually really interested in hearing more about. Can you talk to us a little bit about what it's like transitioning verticals? Being open to opportunity. I feel like, okay, like, if not now, then when? Hi, everybody. My name is Dahlia Strom, and I'm here with a motivated podcast where we feature highly driven people who pursue interesting endeavors and they explore what drives their grit, their hustle, their passion, and more importantly, how do they stay inspired? And I am so lucky to be joined by my podcast co-host, Pablo Henderson, who is amazing. And I look forward to these podcasts every day because we get to podcast together. Welcome, Pablo. Thank you, Dahlia. I'm Pablo Henderson. I'm the Chief Marketing Officer for Xwell. And we have a very special guest on the podcast, probably the most academic person with the most credentials on the topic of motivation that we've had thus far, Professor Ayelet Fishbar, who is the Jeffrey Breckenridge Keller Professor of Behavioral Science and Marketing and IBM Corporation Faculty Scholar. Professor Ayelet Fishbar studies social psychology, management, and consumer behavior. She is the past president of the Society for the Science of Motivation and the International Cognition Network. She's also the author of Get It Done, which has an amazing cover of the book, by the way. I love the design of the, the cover. Surprising Lessons from the Science of Motivation. Welcome to the Motivated Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Pablo and Dalia. Very glad to be here today. I agree, Pablo. It's so funny that you mentioned that. The first thing that I thought was, I love the cover of the book. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason that I love it is because it says, forget, quit, undone, and it's crossed out. So it actually says, get it done. And it's a reminder that like, we shouldn't be forgetting things. We need to focus on getting it done. We shouldn't be quitting. We need to get it done. And there's no such thing as undone. We need to just get it done. At least that's my interpretation. I had the same interpretation. I'd love to hear from the author, but maybe I was way off. I also liked the idea of crossing things off and the, you know, that dopamine release that yeah. you get from getting things done, crossing them off one at a time on your list. So what was the inspiration behind the, the cover? I, I would say that Dalia, you're just the right interpretation. And I'm very glad to hear that because when the book came out, a few people thought that I actually titled it uh, Quit, Forget, Undone. And I was like, oh, no, that was the wrong title. But then I realized that most people get the, the crossing, so they understand that this is uh, Get It Done. What was the inspiration? Well, uh, as you can imagine, uh, it was not the first title. I'd say it probably was like the 100th uh, title, but it's the one that uh, once we we decided on it. We felt like, okay, like that's right. Okay. The, the search is over. We, we figured it out. So, you know, sometimes you are, you're looking for something, you don't know what it is, but you know that you found it and get it down was that, you know, that one for me. So I actually would love to kick this off. And I think about this a lot. Uh, you're a professor of behavioral science. And I think to me, that really speaks to understanding user behavior, understanding people. I'd be curious how you started off. How did you get into behavioral science? 
Oh, uh, well, I studied social psychology uh, at Tel Aviv University. I could not think of anything more interesting to, to study. And within social psychology, that was like the end of the 90s. Uh, motivation was not really a big topic, but I was very curious about motivation. I was very curious about motivation for, for a few reasons. First, I was a graduate student and graduate students really need to rely on their motivation. And second, I was a social psychologist, and so I understood that motivation has to be a function of your situation, of how you frame the situation. It's not really something that is in your genes. People have used the metaphor of, of a muscle. We actually don't use it anymore. We, it's not really a muscle. Okay? It's, it's not part of your body. It's your knowledge, and particularly putting yourself in, in certain situations, and this is really the, the core insight of the field of social psychology applied to motivation. That means that I can motivate myself and I can teach people how to uh, motivate them. Having this realization uh, really uh, opened the door for uh, over 20 years of uh, career studying motivation. It's an interesting interpretation to look at it as a muscle. What do you think, Pablo? Many people refer to it as a muscle that needs to be worked. But I think that what you're saying is that this is really knowledge-based. So it's like, it's not that mathematics is a measurement of intelligence. It's knowing how to use the, the formulas, knowing how to apply them. And then more knowledge assists with your problem solving. So is that what you're saying? Is that the more knowledge you have, the more likely you are to be motivated? The more knowledge you have on motivation, now that the muscle metaphor, uh, which you still hear a lot, there's just not much evidence for that. Okay, that led researchers to to think that maybe uh, if you uh, consume more sugar, you have more self control because you know that is how we feed the the muscles. And uh, Roy Baumeister. Uh, I tried to look at it very seriously and, and really uh, at one point we thought maybe there's evidence then it turned out that it doesn't replicate. There is uh, no evidence that um, that our self-control, that our motivation is like a muscle. There is some evidence that some people are more motivated than, than others. So there are individual differences. But when we look at wh where this comes from, we really see that these people often know how to motivate themselves. So they, they have learned something, which is why I refer to, to knowledge, just to illustrate the point that self-control in general, motivation is not a muscle. Consider how it might be much more easy for you to stick to some goals than, than others, okay? And why you might be uh, super excited about doing this podcast. So it's it's not hard to get up in the morning and, and have a conversation with, with Dahlia, but it will be very hard to get up in the morning to do something that you don't want to do, okay? To, to clean your house or I don't know, what is it that you don't want to do? Why some people find it easy to exercise, other people find it easier to, to stick to a, a diet, okay? I found it easy to engage in, in study, other things I struggle with. All these are examples of how motivation is really part of the situation and how you have learned to motivate yourself in a, in a specific situation. But is it, all, is it only about learning or is it about 
finding additional outlets to motivate yourself. I think about like how, I agree with you. I mean, when I think about running, Pablo is the ultimate, most motivated person when it comes to uh, running. And I have talked about this with him for years, how much I wish that I could motivate myself to go running. I just don't want to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And the biggest takeaway that I've gotten from this podcast is most of our motivated guests are runners. And I'd like to think that I'm pretty motivated, but I just don't want to go running. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't run anymore. I used to run, then uh, got bored and, uh, you know, I found some other things that, uh, that I wanted to do. And what it's important to keep in mind is that in order to be motivated, you need to set goals that are intrinsic okay, that uh, that are fun to do that, that the destination is not the only thing that you care about intrinsic motivation refers to enjoying the way there okay finding value in the way there not just from getting uh, there people who don't like to run it doesn't matter if you think that this is important for you or you think that your best friends and, and role models are are runner If you don't find value from doing it, well, keep searching. There is some workout that is going to do that for you, and you might have to try a few of them until you you finally land on on the one. Let me also add that you might not realize this on the first try. Okay, so you know, maybe you are a swimmer. Okay, maybe you like biking. Maybe uh, uh, you like to go to the gym. But the first time that you do any of this it will feel uncomfortable. And so we, we need to do them a few times to figure out whether it's something that you enjoy doing. And then it's this idea of falling in love with the process and not the end result to some extent, because it would seem to me that the idea of maintaining consistency involves loving the the process of getting to whatever that goal is, as opposed to being purely in love with the end result. You talked about mindset in the context of like your perception and Carol Dweck, who authored Mindset, which is all about like the growth mindset, gave your your book very high praise. What role do you think we know? So we've established that motivation isn't a muscle, but it is linked to your mindset. Can you speak to that a little bit more? Yes. And so in order to motivate yourself, you either change the situation or you change the way you think about it. And mindset changes the way you, you think about it. Okay? And so uh, no, changing the situation, well, you, you set an alarm clock. Okay, You can be uh, uh, like tempted to sleep in a quiet room, but when there is loud noise, you'll get up. Changing the way you think about the situation is, is a bit more complex because now nothing changes about what you do, but the the framing of that changes. Carol Dweck talks about growth mindset, okay? Thinking about what you do as as work in progress, okay? Thinking about your your setbacks as a learning uh, opportunity, yeah? Basically looking, analyzing everything that happens, looking at yourself and understand how that enables you to keep going. And her work shows that people that have this mindset are dealing much better with setbacks, with failures, with you know, a bad grade in school. Okay, A lot of the work is in education. It's not the only way you can frame the world around you in a way that keeps you motivated. 
Another way uh, is uh, at choosing between looking back versus looking forward. Okay, so are you looking at what you have achieved thus far or what you still need to do? And what we find is that for novices, for beginners, when you're not sure about your commitment, you will be more motivated looking back at the steps that you've already taken, right? the glass half full or water full, okay, or five percent full. Only once you feel committed and motivated, and if there is a clear endpoint, you are already halfway there. You will be motivated by looking ahead okay, and thinking about how much distance you you still need to cover, or the glass half empty. This is another way of framing the same situation in ways that will keep you motivated. It's funny because I'm thinking about it. I don't know that I've ever broken it down as like a science where you try something, you may or may not like it the first time, you need to start creating a habit and then eventually that turns into motivation. It sounds like you may or may not almost be motivated the first time you you, you try something, right? Am I wrong in that? Well, so you need to uh, be motivated to start on something, okay? Now, going back to intrinsic motivation, in order to stay motivated, okay, in order to keep doing it, you need to find value from the process. So it's just a different challenge, okay? There is the challenge of starting something, and then there is the challenge of sticking with it. And different people have different struggles, okay? In my uh, writing, I write about setting a goal and then maintaining your motivation when you need to go from here to there. We know that it could be hard, okay? We know that there is the, the middle problem, okay? Like the goals that are long-term, you lose your motivation in the middle, okay? You start maybe with like, good intentions, but but then you might lose it. And so maintaining motivation is difficult. You mentioned making it into a habit, and here's where Wendy Wood's work uh, comes to mind. Uh, Wendy Wood studies habits and actually wrote a wonderful book about it. It's a really good strategy to make something into a habit. We also need to be realistic that some things that we're trying to do will never quite be habitual like brushing our teeth. Okay? You mentioned that Pablo is, is a runner. You're getting up early in the morning to run, that's not going to be automatic. Okay? And Pablo will probably feel tempted to stay in bed every time that you know, he plans to, to run. Okay? It will become more habitual in the sense that it will not take a lot to, to motivate you to get out of bed and, and in your gym shoes, but not quite on the level of brushing your teeth. You know, it's funny, as we're talking about this, I'm also simultaneously thinking about burnout. Like, how do you get from motivated to demotivated, which essentially leads to burnout? I actually love that you brought that up because one of the things that you talk about in the book is this idea of being motivated while staying healthy and happy. And it's like, there's a cost to not doing this the right way, right? Like you can be highly motivated and getting all this, achieving all these goals, but if it comes at another cost, is it worth it? And so you're really trying to give people frameworks to do this in the healthiest possible way, if I understand correctly. I completely agree. And burnout is is real, right? And um, you know, find yourself working for a long time towards something that you're no longer sure you, you care about is, is real. Right? Uh, we uh, look at uh, uh, the national data here in the 
uh, in the US and we see that uh, the majority of the people uh, don't save enough money. So they, they are failing on their financial goals. We see that people are struggling with their health. Anywhere you look at it, okay, there is an, an increase in health uh, problems, in uh, the, uh, the diabetes, in uh, like uh, uh, overweight, uh, smoking, and, and so on. We see that uh, many people, actually the majority of the people, are unhappy at work. And so the, there is a lot of work for us as, as people to do to uh, find this uh, no happy way of pursuing our goals. It it's not that many of us are already doing it. It's it's more that many of us are not doing it. I had an interesting. I live in Connecticut, and I was in the city yesterday for meetings, and I was taking the train in the middle of the day back to Connecticut, and the train was relatively empty, and there was a gentleman who was sitting on the other side of the train and having a conversation with somebody he had not seen in a long time, and the person was remarking on how much he had changed, and the gentleman's was very quite loud so I could overhear the conversation. I wasn't eavesdropping, but I got hooked into their conversation. So I guess I was eavesdropping. And <laughs> he said uh, he said that he used to weigh 440 pounds and that he'd lost 190 pounds in a relatively short period of time and that he'd gone to this weight institute, you know, where they they work specifically on giving you the tools to to change your behaviors, your habits, et cetera, and that he hadn't undergone any surgery. Now, the gentleman was still weighing in at 250 pounds and was a rather large gentleman. And But what he prided himself on is that he'd done the whole thing without any exercise. And I, I thought to myself, wow, is this really what we've come down to as a society, you know, where you fix on the number, right? And there are all these other things that you can do. And yes, this gentleman is so much better off, right? He's lost 190 pounds. His, his entire lifestyle has probably changed, but he was still, you know, not necessarily living a, a healthy lifestyle. But he talked about all of these tools that were provided um, as basic as no, not watching regular television because of the ads that come on that tempt you because mm. most of the ads are around food or products that you wouldn't have been thinking about, but you watching Netflix or something where you can control your time watching television. And, and he went down a laundry list of the things that had worked. And I, I just found myself thinking about how the number can be so deceiving when you focus just on the number of a goal or a date, for instance, and wanted to get your, both of you kind of your, your thinking on, on that. It's funny because as you're saying the number, I think about vanity likes, I think about vanity yes. followers, right? So I think we get so fixated on the number. And as you're talking about the ads, I'm also simultaneously thinking about the fact that like zoning out and watching Netflix to me is almost like equivalent to watching the ads because you're still zoning out. So you want to snack on something while you're zoning. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I yell it. I defer to you. I would say that I uh, wrote a book about motivation without referring to losing weight even once. And that is because I don't think that that's a great goal to have. Right? Now, you know, some people need to, to lose weight for, for medical uh, reasons and, uh, and, and I acknowledge that. But most people that think that they should lose weight, what they actually need to do is, is live a healthier lifestyle. Okay. And a healthier lifestyle is not necessarily about being 
thin. Actually, we know now that uh, being thin can be a problem on its own. It's it's really about eating well, right? Yeah. Like moving your your body, okay, and like mental health, okay, being happy with uh, with who you are and and the way you look, okay, and the way uh, you use your your body. These are much better goals to have for the ads that you see on TV. As a marketing professor, or just you know, as, as someone who's watching TV, I can tell you that they tailor them for you. Okay, so uh, as you change your lifestyle, you will also get different set of ads. I love that. It's a, I love, I love that. I tell my kids that all the time. Be careful what you like because you're informing the algorithm. And if you like things that you want to to support the changes that you're making in your life, then that's what you need to do. So I, I, I love that message. You're so right. And I think that's the incongruence that I felt in the conversation, the prideful part that he, you know, achieved such a massive goal without the exercise part, without the movement side was the red flag in how we can't get fixed on the numbers, but it really is about living a, a happier, a happier life. Yeah, but from from what you just said, Pablo, and Ayala, it, it almost sounds like we need somebody to check in with to make sure that we're, we are leading a healthier lifestyle, like the Weight Institute. It sounded like he needed somebody to check in with and level set. And, and maybe that's where like we we get to a point of not hitting burnout, but also like making sure that we are aligned and we're accomplishing our goals and maybe we're not overexerting and not underexerting. We almost need like a motivation coach, right? Like, are you accomplishing these things on your path to motivation? Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> no, you speak to yeah. this in the book, right? About this idea of having helpers or be a community of people that are supporting your your goals, right? Yeah, we just jumped from uh, no, the second part to the fourth. Okay, so we started with you need to set a goal. Okay, it's better be intrinsic. Okay, you you need to get yourself from here to there. You need to monitor progress. The third part that we just skipped is what do you do with all the other goals? And we are in the fourth part, which is your social network. So absolutely, uh, Dahlia, we are as humans. Okay, we are a social species. Okay, we live with other people, we walk with other people, we have our entire evolution directed us toward looking around us at what other people are doing and what are they thinking about us. And so uh, other people around you are critical for your success in motivating uh, yourself. It is much easier if the people around you share your goals and if they have that goal for you. Students are doing better when their their parents care about their success. Now, note it's not just that the person wants to be successful by themselves. Okay, it's not that I as a mother want to be successful. Is that I as a mother want my children to be successful in school, and they know that, and so they are supported by the idea that they have like these people around them that are helpful. So, yes. Who in your life is helping is a very important question. It might be the the one thing that you need to change in order to be successful. Well, there was one thing I just wanted to jump back onto as we proceed. We've gone from two to four and we jumped over three. It was actually the middle problem. If you could just give a quick highlight on what the middle problem was. is, is That's the messy middle, right? That's the, the, the challenge of being 
not at the beginning and not at the end? Or how should we interpret that? Yes, many of the goals that we set for ourselves are long-term goals. Okay, sometimes it's for the the, the entire like, time that we we plan to uh, to be here. Okay, like we decide to uh, adopt uh, uh, some like new exercise uh, uh, regimen, and we want to to do that forever. Okay, yeah, uh, we want to save money for a really long time. Most of us have some retirement goal that we try to pursue throughout our career. And these are very long-term goals that are hard because they have a very long middle. Okay. And so we start them with much energy and enthusiasm. And usually when we are about to approach a goal, we are motivated again. Okay. Think about it a college student that is taking their very uh, last class, okay, they are highly motivated to, to get it done, okay, to finish it. But in the middle, this is where we, we see motivation declines. And so one of the, the fun studies that I ran with uh, Rima Tortillery at uh, Northwestern was a study when we asked people in Israel about uh, lighting the, the candles uh, during the Hanukkah holiday. And if you aren't familiar with the holiday, uh, you need to light candles for eight nights, which is really fun. And you can, you know, count them. And you can, like, the first night is one candle, then second, then third, up to eight. So most people enjoy it. But when we ask people whether they do it, well, the majority of our uh, people did it on the first and the last night, but not so much in the middle. <laughs> and so it was. A, a very funny illustration of the middle problem. <laughs> that's interesting. So that was like specifically taken. That's that was that survey was taken in Israel, right? Yes. I feel like here in America, more specifically, people adhere to it. Uh, maybe a little bit more. I I would say in my community, almost everybody that we know, they they go through the motions partially because of tradition, partially because kids ask for presents every single night. Right. So yeah. like it's it's an extension of what actually happens during uh, that entire process. So like if you're keeping something out and it's accessible, usually you use it. I, I'd like to think so if you're keeping the menorah out and uh, somebody captures a wind of it, like during the day at some point, they look forward to it. It becomes something that becomes enjoyable for at least one, if not everybody. And they are the driving force, which probably goes back to the uh, the motivation on why we do this. But I think that it, maybe it's a little bit different here in the States than it is in Israel. I don't know. Pablo, what do you think? You know, it's well, there's two pieces that came to mind in that story. The that my kids used to love lighting Hanukkah candles. And then my wife just felt like it was overwhelming to do gifts for every single night when the kids were younger. And we put less focus on the gifts, you know, and the kids got more and more demotivated in the lighting of the candles, but very motivated on the first night of Hanukkah because of like the the hope of you know the first candle being lit and what that represents and then very involved on the last night because of the sheer beauty of a fully lit mm-hmm. and a career with all of the candles lit in the household so i could see that there is symbolism and there's internal motivation so it's it's more complex than just that but we're we're kind of deviating into a whole other specific conversation around hanukkah here but no, i see I- that I was actually going to say we're deviating into a conversation around giving somebody a treat as a reward for taking an action. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Those, you yeah. get a present. You go yeah. to 
you get a candy, right? Like here's your treat. This is your reward. It's actually funny because they've done a lot of studies recently where they're, they're recommending not giving a treat after taking a specific action, similar to what you're saying, because if they stop getting the treat, they stop taking that action. So it it becomes a demotivating factor. And that goes back to the intrinsic motivation. But essentially, if you want somebody to do something, give them a treat. Is that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, rewards work. Rewards uh, work despite the fact that they can sometimes undermine the the original motivation to do something. So (laughs) we want to give rewards. uh, We want to give a treat without killing the motivation (laughs) to do the activity. And uh, uh, one way to do it is by giving rewards in some what inconsistent fashion, okay? The, the intermittent reinforcement as we, we refer to it in psychology, okay? And so you you give treats on that, I know some days of Hanukkah, but not uh, others, okay? Uh, you give treats to yourself or you know, sometimes when you, you did what you were supposed to do, but not always. The idea with the uncertainty uh, of the reward is that is more meaningful. Okay, getting the reward is uh, is more special. Okay, it's it's more exciting. It's it's like winning a lottery in a way that you, you will be qualified to win the lottery, but it doesn't mean that you will win. You don't get it every time, and so th- there are ways to use rewards in a smart way. So Dolly and I have been hosting this podcast for some time now, and we've had amazing de- guests along the way. As I mentioned, you're probably the person with the most academic credentials on the on the topic that we've ever had. And so I kind of in real time live, well, <laughs> we actually got an audience, wanted to get your advice on a couple of things. And this is purely in the context of our podcast. So the, the first piece is a question about your academic paper that you wrote that won an award for having the best dissertation. And I wanted to kind of find out what that topic was that was so award worthy so that we could maybe gain inspiration from that Um, because we've been talking about motivation but only anecdotally getting it from the highly motivated individuals that we speak to and then the other is you must have heard so many inspiring motivational stories what makes a good motivational story so that we can maybe take some learning for that from our podcast. So didn't mean to put you on the spot, but I'm sure you can probably speak to your dissertation without any cues. But what was it that made it win this very prestigious award? Well, so what we found is that uh, if you are trying to overcome temptation, it might be a good idea to think about this temptation. Okay, So instead of trying to push it out of your mind, Tell me what it is. And this was a bit counterintuitive because you often think, well, if I want to avoid some, you know, like food or cigarettes, this colleague who uh, gets me to uh, not be my best self, uh, the best way is just never to think about these things. This is wrong. The best way is to anticipate them in advance. And if you know that these temptations are going to be there, and you anticipate them, once you encounter them, you're in a better position to, to deal with it. I, I know Metaphorically, I refer to it as preparing to lift a heavy piece of furniture. If I tell you that this sofa is really heavy, you're going to approach it with more force than if I don't mention that it's heavy. Right? If I tell you that this meeting, like this person who really uh, uh, 
that pushes you in the wrong way is going to be there and it's going to be very tense. Or if I tell you that like this party is going to have like a lot of alcohol and you will be tempted or whatever is your temptation, if I ask you to think about this in advance, instead of pushing it out of your mind, think about it, you're actually better able to resist it once you are in this situation. So no, that one, uh, the dissertation. uh, That's amazing. And it's funny because I think about that from like a user behavior perspective, because as you're mentioning it, let's say the couch is really heavy and I know I have to lift this really heavy couch. I feel this feeling of dread come over me and it's uh, <laughs> it's almost like I don't want to do it. How do you power through that? <laughs> yeah, so, you know, uh, it could be overwhelming. Uh, you might uh, give up because you think that something is impossible and we can guide your thinking so it, it's not in that context, okay? We're not asking you to imagine yourself just being unable to resist the temptation. I, the, the couch is kind of metaphorical, but like, right. I don't know. Imagine like that, like that, this party that is going to offer too much alcohol, okay? Yeah. And we don't ask you to imagine yourself just like forgetting about uh, where you want to be and getting completely drunk and, and just losing it. What we ask you to to imagine is that this is going to be a situation that is difficult, okay? This is not going to be as easy as uh, Noah's stroll in the park, okay, or our conversation now. And imagine the difficult situation is often not overwhelming, but sufficiently uh, good at reminding you that uh, that you need to recruit your resources, okay? You need to prepare, okay? You need to yeah. do something about it. So essentially creating better habits, but also like, it sounds like managing your anxieties. Maybe that's an extension of uh, being demotivated is managing those anxieties. Exactly. Exactly. Like having a plan, right? Like this is what I'm going to do. And I approach the situation with that plan and I'm more relaxed and I'm not getting overwhelmed when uh, the expected uh, things happen, which is the risk with pushing things off your mind, okay? That like when you you see it, you, you are just overwhelmed. Okay? You're just unprepared. There's an element of know thyself in all of that, you know, and confronting the honest knowledge of yourself head on with that plan, with that preparation, as, as opposed to tucking something away. And it's that principle of the, the do's are easier than the don'ts, right? It's easier to, to think about yeah. something in a proactive way in a positive way as opposed to oh don't think about crashing into the, they use the skiing metaphor right of don't the person that's skiing downhill shouldn't be thinking about don't crash into but that's a contradiction then isn't it because the idea of the skier going down the hill should not be thinking don't crash into the trees so yeah. how do you address that example? Do you know the example I'm talking about? Yes, yes. And okay. in general, do not goals are less effective than do goals or avoidance goals are less effective than approach goals. Now, I say in general, there are actually individual differences. Okay? Some people are more often avoiders. Okay? So avoidance goals actually work good for them. Okay? But uh, uh, without looking at now, where the match to the person, I would say that there are a couple of problems with avoidance uh, goals. Okay? One is that it brings to mind the thing that you are trying to avoid. 
right? And so, uh, uh, you know, uh, we uh, ask people not to uh, think about something. Okay? Don't think about your ex. Well, how do you know that you're not thinking about your ex? You ask yourself, am I thinking about my ex? Well, now I do, right? So like, it's really hard to do that. The other problem is uh, what we refer to as psychological reactance. When we are told not to do something, we really want to do that. And you know, think of the, the teenager you, Okay, and you know we never completely outgo this this phase, but like the teenager me, when you tell me not to touch something, oh, I really want to touch that thing. And when you tell me like don't get into this argument, I just really want to argue about that. And like that, that's another problem with that avoidance goal. So avoidance goals are in general, and again, in general, less effective. But this is not. What I'm suggesting, right? What I'm suggesting is anticipate obstacles, okay? And anticipate that uh, when uh, there is a tree, I'm going to uh, uh, move in uh, a different direction. When I encounter this problem, okay, when I'm tired, uh, I'm going to uh, uh, take a break from driving, okay, other than like pull through it. Okay? Just having that plan in advance is often a way to manage your anxiety about temptation and just be better prepared if you don't consider how you're going to respond to being tired while driving in the situation you might mess it up that is try to make it through despite being tired that makes total sense so on the inspiring stories around motivation what should we be looking for what have you heard that you think that could could inform the work that we've been doing doing with regards to our podcast? Oh gosh, there are so many inspiring stories about motivation. I think that many times they involve people who don't realize how great they are and know how uh, know how motivated uh, they are. I, I'm being reminded uh, of like, a person that I, that I, I recently uh, discussed her motivation with her. She actually had a question. She was in, in the audience uh, in, in a place I, I was speaking and she said that uh, she was able to uh, quit smoking for 20 years, but then around the, like the pandemic and being uh, home by herself with all the, the stress, she uh, went back to smoking and she feels like a failure. And I was like, whoa, this is a person who was able to quit smoking for 20 years and calling herself a failure. <laughs> <laughs> this is the, the kind of unbelievable success that uh, many people who have any kind of addiction would wish on themselves. And uh, clearly she knows how to do this. I mean, she did it before very effectively. It's it just that her standards for what it means to be motivated, no, completely unrealistic. Okay. Like the standard is that like, I will never give in to temptation. Okay. I, there will be no setbacks in my life. And well, there will be setbacks in your life and my life too. I agree uh, with that. And, and, yeah. I agree with that sentiment. I think that because most of us are pretty hard on ourselves, especially if you're motivated, we set such high standards. Sometimes we can't even reach them. But I feel like, so yeah. I I actually think that you, you have maybe accidentally stumbled on one of the most popular topics um, in society today, which is motivation one way or the other. On one hand, I feel like motivation gets a bit of a bad rep because people lean into this idea of, you know, atomic habits and, you know, uh, this idea that it's all about consistency, et cetera, et cetera, and that motivation doesn't exist. 
But if you look at social media, every major influencer of, to, of today's world is trying to motivate and is speaking about motivation in one way or the other, whether it's in the fitness space or in the beauty space or in, in the well-being space or in the mental health space or in the professional space, there's a motivational message, right? The, the gurus that we look to today are essentially motivational speakers. And I think that we may actually be setting a standard that is too high, that is unrealistic. I don't know. I, I see yeah. you putting your head in, in potential agreement, but I, I think maybe just like the person who uh, changes their lifestyle and only sees advertisements for that specific thing, maybe because I'm in the motivational space, that's all I'm seeing, you know? And so the algorithm has trained to tell me, to show me what it thinks that I want to see. But I'd be curious to get your thoughts on whether society has set unrealistic expectations for motivation. I, you see me nodding because... Now, we are at the point where when you experience a setback, you are not only disappointed about the setback, okay? It's not just that I didn't get the thing that I was trying to get or, or did the thing that I, I thought I should do. You failed to live up to the expectation of having a no-failure life. Right? Like you, you failed as a person. And... I find it to be completely wrong. And a lot of the work that we are currently doing is about teaching people to experience setbacks as part of the process, right? Learning from these uh, setbacks. We encourage people to do something in a way that is wrong, okay? In order to then get it right, okay? So come up with a bad idea before you give me a good idea. We, we did the uh, studies with the Second City, which is an improvisation club here in Chicago, where we encourage students to do something that is awkward for you, feel uncomfortable, okay? Basically, yeah. we didn't say this word, but fail, okay? And have healthier relationship with that because like this idea that there is like some guru that tells you how you're going to have an amazing life with, with no setbacks, like I don't even want that life. I think you framing it from that perspective of living a no failure life is a reminder that we set such high expectations for ourselves. And you know what? Even though people around us, if we excel in certain things, they set a higher level of expectation and a bar for us versus like maybe similar people around us. And if by a chance we don't meet those higher expectations, then we feel like a failure because we almost get a level of disappointment from those people. I think that. It's our job also to remind ourselves that we need to show gratitude and maybe even a little bit of grace so that we can lead less of a no failure life. I really like that expression. And when you use the word failure, both Dahlia and I smiled because it's come up on the on our podcast on many occasions, how you define failure, what the, the importance of failure the, the benefits of failure, interpreting failure, and even whether the word failure should be used and we need to give it a new image. It rebrands the term failure in a different context. Yes, we are a work in progress. <laughs> we are learning. We don't want to be the person who uh, is already like learned everything. Okay? We, we want to be learning. 
Yeah. I'd be curious also, how do you reset expectations? If you hit higher standards than like other people, other companies, I, I would assume probably you probably struggle with this too. So you hit higher standards, you, you set higher standards, you hit higher expectations. And then let's say one day you just don't meet it for one reason or another, you can't meet that high standard. How do you reset that no failure concept? Yeah, the standards are, are not supposed to be something that you meet every day. You <laughs> think about meeting your standards maybe 80% of the time. I feel like, so I'm somebody in the household who never raises their voice. Like I'm not, I'm not a shouter. I'm not a, I'm pretty even keeled as a parent. But if ever I do, it's like the biggest deal in the household, you know, mm -hmm. like, oh, you know, dad shouted or, you know, but if I shouted all the time, it wouldn't be you know, a big deal. Right? <laughs> and yet it's become such a big deal if I even remotely raise my voice. And so I'm held to this impossible standard in that regard. Right. And I see I see that happen to us in other aspects of our life. If you're somebody that's incredibly punctual and you're late, it's really like, wow, what's, what's going on? You know, and that comes down to the, I mean, we're marketers essentially here to some extent because we're looking at behavioral science, but it's this idea of the brand that you build and whether that brand has the elasticity to take in the whole aspect of who you are or whether your personal brand is so rigid. And I think that's connected to motivation and the perception of failure too. Do you have elasticity? Do you have bandwidth within your own brand that it can welcome it can foster failure or fluctuations in some way, even if they seem incongruent with who you are. That's yeah. my that's my piece on that. And Pablo, maybe I start shouting more. Yes, that, I mean, I I've joked. I was like, maybe I should just be a shouter. Maybe I should just shout more often. That way, everyone will be prepared for it. <laughs> no, but I think that your kids probably learn a ton from uh, you saying, oh, that was a mistake. Okay, I, I lost my temper. Okay, I'll try to do better next time. I know that my children are always kind of like taking like, they, 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 they stop breathing for a second when I admit <laughs> a mistake. Like, oh, so you yeah. make mistakes. Yeah, I do. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, in the connection to to marketing, uh, uh, Tali Reich at Yale has work showing that uh, when companies make mistakes, uh, uh, often these are the, the products that uh, are exactly what consumers are willing to pay for. Okay, mistakes are special. <laughs> I want to get this faulty product. It's interesting. We're running out of time, and um, actually, we're we're right at the 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 end of today's podcast, but we. Didn't want to let you go away without maybe giving us one one useful tip and maybe some some recommendations other than obviously your own incredible book, Get It Done. If there's any tidbits you can leave listeners with, we would gladly take them. And unlike maybe other people, we promise to read them. If you give us a reading list, we will make sure that we do our homework. Yeah, well, so, you know, we mentioned uh, Carol Dweck, so... You know, if you haven't read her book, it's a classic. Angela Duckworth has a, a great, which is a classic by now. Katie Milkman, uh, Wendy uh, Wood, uh, are people who do great uh, work. And um, now go on my, my website, uh, yellowfishback.com. I try to update that with uh, all the work that comes out of my lab. We uh, want to understand motivation. That's great. That's great. 
I want to see a photo of the bat of the, all the photos that you of all the books that you have behind you. I think that that would be in <laughs> your, your collection. Yeah, that's uh, you know like that. Yeah, that, that makes more sense. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Here you go. Yeah, we're gonna have to we, a photo of that entire bookshelf. The we book. are so incredibly grateful that you made the time for us and. Um, you know, while we were off camera, we talked about the start of the school year, Rosh Hashanah is coming up, then it'll be the new year. It's the it's always a new beginning of some kind. It's a landmark birthday. There's always a new start that is happening. And uh, we're hoping that we can take this energy into whatever new start somebody might be embarking on, regardless of the time of year. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Dalia, yes. I'll hand it over to you. Thank you. Thank you for having me and happy Rosh Hashanah. Happy New Year. Thank you so much. Ayala, this was amazing. Thank you so much for kind of almost giving us like a framework. And that I think was the most valuable part of today. Thinking about logically, if we are trying to make sure that we're accomplishing tasks, how do we get there? And that framework was extremely, extremely valuable. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for joining us on the Motivated Podcast. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to The Motivated Podcast and also stay tuned on LinkedIn and Instagram for some behind the scenes and extra updates.